Now, you may feel as though I've already preached a sermon, but I haven't yet. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Lucky asked on his way in, he said, when we have a full service like this and we're doing all these things, you know, Robert and I are going to share, you're going to recognize the fathers and Robert for graduating. Do you shorten your sermon or is it just like a really long service? And I said, well, I do try to make my sermon a little more concise, but I don't always know until I'm preaching it. So we're going to find out together whether my sermon will be appropriate length for the service or not. But before we get into it, let's do pray again. We need God's help because this is his word and it's a miracle when we're able to receive it in such a way as to be transformed by it. So let's just briefly ask for his help with that. Father, thank you for such a joyful service already. And now as we settle in just to listen to you and your voice, we need your help. Would you please speak to us clearly? Would you please help me to serve your people well? Let your word do its full work in our hearts with your full power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So I'm going to talk to you today about striving. Striving in our passage today, the word means seeking, desiring, or pursuing. Now, we strive, we seek, we desire, we pursue any number of things in any given day. This last week, I was striving to find an exercise plan that I could fit into my schedule that would make me extremely fit but require no running or physical exertion of any kind. You strive for things as well. Think past, about your past week. What have you been striving for in this past week? What's your energy been going toward? What have you been seeking? What have you been desiring? What have you been pursuing in the last week? And just kind of bring these things into your mind as we ease into God's Word together. Now imagine there's a, a variety of things. There's a number of things. And I imagine probably all of them, hopefully at least most of them, are good things. But are they the best? Are you striving for the best things? That's the challenge I think this passage is going to hold before us today. This is a continuation of where we left off two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The passage was talking about the spiritual gifts of tongues versus prophecy, which I know doesn't seem like extremely applicable to us, but we found that it actually is because underneath that, What he was really talking about is the difference between building up ourselves versus building up other people in the church, which is what we're called to do as a church. So what we'll have in our passage today, verses 6 through 12, is a question to ask, a design to fulfill, and a command to obey. A question to ask, a design to fulfill, and a command to obey. And we'll start with a question to ask. In verse 6, Paul writes, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, which we said in the Corinthian practice was being filled with the Spirit, or at least seemingly so, to where they were speaking in languages that nobody understood. So he says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in this way, speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? How will I benefit you? 
unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. How will I benefit you? The Corinthians were asking the wrong question when they came to gather with the church. They were asking, how will I benefit myself? And in this whole passage, Paul is trying to correct them and say, no, that's the wrong question to ask when you think about your involvement in the life of your church. The question is not, how will I benefit myself? It is, how will I benefit you? How will I benefit my brothers and sisters in Christ, my fellow church members? Now, we're not particularly tempted to use the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues in an unruly way when we gather. I've been with you basically 10 years. I've never had that issue at this church. But I think we are tempted to approach our church life life selflessly. I'm sorry, I got that all wrong. I think we are tempted to approach our church life selfishly. For example, here's something that I've heard several times. I stopped coming to church months ago, and nobody called me. Now, that's something I've heard several times. I stopped coming to church months ago, and nobody called me. Now, there's two levels of what's being expressed there. On one level, it's exposing a failure in the church body. The person has a point. If any of us withdraws from the fellowship for months, there has to be people calling them. We have to be on the lookout for one another. We have to call and check in with each other when we drop out of fellowship. So they they have a point. It's weird for the church to have not noticed if somebody drops away from the fellowship for months. But on another level that the, the individual probably doesn't realize, they're also revealing a misunderstanding in their own heart toward what this whole thing is. They're talking as if they're a client of the church or a customer of the church. And they were due certain benefits and they didn't receive them. And so they're mad. They're, they're acting as if they had a contract with the church and they weren't getting what they signed up for. But in reality, we're not like clients of the church. We're like employees of the church. When you go to church, you're going to work according to God's word and what we've been seeing lately. So instead of, nobody called me, if we are programmed rightly by the word, we won't be thinking that way. We'll be thinking, I'm sorry I didn't show up to work lately. I know you are all dependent on me to be there because God placed me in this body for a purpose and spiritually gifted me to be a benefit and blessing to everybody, and I haven't been there and I haven't been doing my job. That would be the rightly programmed by the word thing to say after having been absent from the fellowship for months. Not, nobody called me. Now you might be thinking, well, shouldn't I be benefited from the church? It's not that wrong to think that I should receive benefit from being at church. Well, of course you should. But it's not your job to procure that for yourself. That's everybody else's job to give to you. This is part of that great paradox that Jesus brings to the new believer where everything gets flipped upside down, and it's he who lets go of his life who finds it. And it's the weak who are the strong, the childlike are the wise, and the one who is determined to be a blessing to everybody else who actually ends up getting blessed. See, often we live 
We've got a family friend who they've adopted several children, and one of the kids they adopted, they don't know a lot about the child's backstory, but at mealtime, the child hoards food. And, and more than, you know, your typical child, like getting as much food as possible, hiding food in pockets. And so they're starting to get the sense that this child must be coming from a, a situation where he didn't have enough food. And so he's just programmed any chance he gets, he's going to hoard as much as he can. And he hasn't yet learned that, no, he's in a family where he's got it made. He'll always have enough food. He never has to hoard. He never has to put food in his pockets from dinner for fear he's going to miss the next meal. He'll always have another meal. He can relax. I think often Christians are the same way. They come into the church, and maybe if, especially if they become, become Christians later in life, they still have that starvation mentality, and they're like, i got to get all the blessing I can get for me. i got to get out because I'm going back out into a wasteland out there. But that's not who you are anymore in Christ. You are lavished with God's love and blessing through Jesus Christ. So when you come into the church, you can relax about trying to procure for yourself blessing. And you can actually see the people around you and be a blessing to them. I think we are confused in the American church when we join a church or we become Christians. We feel as though we've received like a Costco membership card that entitles us to certain benefits. But really what God hands you isn't a Costco membership card. It's a heavy toolbox full of tools for you to use on the great big construction project that he's doing. And it's not welcome to the club, it's welcome to the construction site. And you're given the Holy Spirit, which empowers you to get to work building up the people around you. So the question to ask, and the shift we have to make almost daily, really, in our culture, isn't how will I benefit myself? It's how will I benefit you? How will I benefit my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's the question to ask. Next, in verses 7 through 11, we'll see a design to fulfill. We'll read all these verses before we talk about them. Paul writes, Even if lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Now, this is all about the misuse of the spiritual gift of tongues. Which, again, is not an issue for us. None of you, I think I can say you're all off the hook, none of you are misusing the spiritual gift of tongues that I'm aware of. But beneath that, there's something that's very important for us to remember here. There's a design for us to fulfill in our place in the church. The Corinthian Christians forgot that they were designed by a designer for a purpose that included how they used their words. It's important how Christians use their words, especially with their church family. There's design behind it. Just like instruments are designed for music, not just racket. And just like a bugle is designed to call an army to battle, not just make noise. And just like language 
is designed to convey meaning, Christians are to use language to benefit one another as the church. I think we too are tempted to forget that there is a design and purpose for how we use our words as a church. So if the question to ask is, how will I benefit my brothers and sisters in Christ, my church members, my fellow church members, the first answer given here is, with your words. And that makes sense, because how did God create everything? With his words, he spoke it into existence. He said, let there be, and there was. How did God create Israel? With his word. Remember the Deuteronomy passage, that's what held them together. How did God create the new covenant people, the church? Through the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Words are extremely important and extremely powerful. Now, this has a lot of application for leaders and teachers and preachers. When we use our words, we need to be asking the question, is this building people up? Is this helpful? But it has application for all of us, just in how we use our words with one another. And we're always looking for new programs to help advance the agenda of the church, and that's good, and we should do that. But let's not forget some of the original programming that God gave us, some of the simple things that we can forget, like conversation. Just us using our words in each other's lives. I think this might be one reason why the fellowship time before the service doesn't make sense to all of us. I don't know that I explained well when we started it what the purpose of it is. You know, some, it kind of seems like, well, I already ate breakfast. Why would I come and eat again and talk about the weather or latest political headlines? But what that was meant to be is a space and a time for us to come together where we can use our words intentionally to build each other up, just in conversation, to bring some, as this passage says, revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. To say right after Sunday school, okay, the text said this and this. How are you going to respond to that this week? Or I don't understand this. Can you help me understand this? Or to say, you know, following up on something we talked about last week, you won't believe it, but in my quiet time this week, I came to the perfect passage that answers what you're dealing with. I've been dying to share it with you. Or to say, you know, we've been praying for you about this. How are you doing? To express concern for one another in Christ, to nudge each other forward in Christ. It seems like such a small thing, conversation over a donut, but with intentional words empowered by the Holy Spirit, it could be life-changing. God has designed the church to work in such a way that our words have a really central place and purpose. We have a design to fulfill, we are to use our words to build one another up, never to tear each other down. We should enter every room and every conversation asking, how can I benefit, fill in the blank, whoever is here, with my words? So there's a question to ask, there's a design to fulfill, and lastly, a command to obey. And that brings us to the last verse of our passage, verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. 
They were striving. They were eager. They were zealous for spiritual gifts. And those are good things. But Paul's saying you're not striving for the best thing. You're not striving to excel in building up the church. And that's your highest calling right now while you're on this earth. They were like workers on a construction site playing with their tools instead of using their tools for the purpose they were designed for, to build up the building. Workers out juggling hammers and saws rather than being engaged in the work. And you say, well, we're not doing that. We're not using spiritual gifts to play with. That may be true. But we are tempted to strive for good things that fall short of the best things. So I asked at the beginning of the sermon, what are you striving for? What are you seeking, desiring, and pursuing? So bring those back to mind again. And since it's Father's Day, an application for parents, what are we teaching our children to strive for? What are we teaching our children to seek, desire, and pursue? Are we so focused on good things that we're missing the best things? Are we focused on work and family and health and finances and our home and our yard and our hobbies, all good things, but to the exclusion of the best and highest callings that we've been given? It's possible even within the life of the church to miss the point and strive for the wrong things. The Corinthians were striving for spiritual gifts and yet missing their calling to build up the church. Even within our church family, we could strive for something really good, but forget to build each other up. And so we'll let this passage correct us. Now you might be thinking, well, I thought that was your job, Matt. I thought we hired you to build us up. And so we can come for an hour a week and you build us up and then we're good. Well, yes and no, that is true. I should be building you up. But also no. If you look at Ephesians 4, you'll see that I'm just support staff here on this construction site. My job is to equip you, to equip you saints. The Bible calls you saints if you're a believer for the work of building one another up, building up the body of Christ. So actually, it's kind of more your job than it is mine. But I need to be equipping you to do it. And I'm, I'm trying, trying to grow, I'm trying to do better. And then as a fellow Christian, I am to be building you up. But it's actually your job description. Go read Ephesians 4 sometime. It is a great and glorious and merciful calling. It's not one that any of us deserved. We didn't get the job because of our merits. God didn't bring you on board because he said, Oh, I need, I need one of those on staff to build up this church. We're all sinful people, undeservedly cleaned up through Jesus Christ. And then God didn't just stop with that. He didn't just forgive us of our sins and leave us on our own. He actually brought us into relationship with him. And then he didn't even stop with that. He brought us into relationship with him and then gave us a job to do with him. Remember when you were a kid, did you ever get to go to work with your dad or your mom as a kid and how awesome it was when you actually had a job to do? There, Well, that's what this is. He's brought you to work with him. He's given you a job to do. And it's glorious, and it's eternally significant. And there is no fulfillment greater than finding your niche, figuring out what God has equipped you to do to help build up the church. And one more word of clarification. When I say build up the church, I don't mean build up DGC, Dillons Grove Church. I mean build up 
Kathy, Dawn, Jim, Larry, Robert. I mean, look at the people around you and see that they are your responsibility and your privilege and your opportunity to build up the church. Pray for them. Encourage them. Nudge them in the right direction. You see them drop out of fellowship. Call them. Cultivate relationships with them. You know, we are not a social club. We don't, some of us don't really have that much in common. And so, apart from Christ, we probably wouldn't hang out that much. And that's okay, because this isn't a social club. This is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And we have a short amount of time and great work to be doing together. May we strive to excel in building up the church. May we seek and desire and pursue excellence at building one another up in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering your people together this morning and giving us this word. I pray that you would indeed help us reorder our hearts so that we desire what is truly desirable, not just what our culture holds out and says this is good. Help us to see through the lies and see the true treasure of obeying your word, your command to build one another up in Christ. Show us each individually our place, our role in this project. And may we be joyfully engaged in the work. In Jesus' name, amen.